There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our colleague Noel is not here, but will be returning shortly. They called me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Now, longtime listeners, fellow conspiracy realists, over the years, you may have clocked something that has occurred to Matt and I as well. It seems as if every single country across the planet has a few UFO or UAP stories. In tonight's episode, we're heading over to the Southern Hemisphere. Hello, fellow uh, conspiracy realists from Australia and All Point South. Australia is home to some of the most unique animals and biomes on the planet. I mean, Matt, I, I, I believe it's true that for both of us, uh, we've never been to Australia physically, but we want to go. Is that correct? 100%. Ready when you are. Australia, just send us a, a plane, preferably a larger one than the one we're going to be talking about today, right. and uh, we'll get on it and we'll fly to you. We'll need a little more than the range of a Cessna for that one. Or maybe <laughs> yeah. just a lot of layovers, get mm -hmm. pretty creative with uh, where our crossings are. Uh, so Australia is, it turns out, also a hotbed of alleged UFO activity and all, all sorts of conspiratorial lore. It's home to Pine Gap, I think, most famously. That would be the, um, that, that would be the prominent conspiratorial subject on the continent. But tonight's question is about a specific person, a young man, uh, a budding pilot named Frederick Valentich. What happened to him? Here are the facts. This kid was going places. He was born on June 9th, 1958. And for a lot of his life, he was one of those people who always knew what they wanted to do. He had a dream, you know, and and that's relatively noble and rare, I would say. A lot of people growing up drift, you know, we try on different versions of ourselves until we find the one that fits. Absolutely. And often when you hear about truly remarkable people who've put their stamp on the world in some way, they they share this thing that Frederick has where they're just driven by some unknown force from an early age on a, on a mission, really, to accomplish something. Yeah. At some point early in his life, young Fred looked up at the sky 
and it stayed with him. Uh, he had a lifelong interest in all things aviation, all aerial phenomena, and his father described him as a, quote, UFO fanatic from an early age. And he said, you know, my son was always watching movies about extraterrestrials. He would keep an eye out for any anything in the news about a possible UFO. And, and keep in mind, of course, this is before the age of the public internet. So this kid was making scrapbooks. He was taking scissors and clipping out newspaper reports of sightings and collecting them for himself. He, um, he joined the RAAF, the Royal Australian Air Force Training Corps. Think of it sort of like an ROTC equivalent. And originally, he wanted to be a military pilot. And he tried to enlist twice. He was rejected each time apparently, as far as we can tell, because of his lack of educational qualifications. That's another way of saying he he failed um, a couple of components of these exams multiple times, but he didn't give up. He decided he would qualify for a pilot license on his own, because as we know, you don't have to be in the military to pilot an aircraft. In Australia or in the U.S., you can totally get uh, a different kind of license, right? Different kinds of qualifications. Yeah. And maybe it's something everybody knows, but I didn't realize for a long time that getting a pilot's license doesn't mean you need to own an aircraft or right, have your own aircraft. I didn't understand that you could rent out an aircraft in the same way that you could, let's say, rent a boat. If your family ever went on a vacation one time to a lake, and you can rent a boat out. But, you know, in the boat, you don't even really need a license, a specific license for that. For an aircraft, it's it's a little more particular because uh, it is a very different type of machine you're piloting there. But uh, I guess I just, in my head, getting a pilot's license is the equivalent of just getting a driver's license, being able to control a certain type of craft. Yeah, yeah, well said. It's also pretty expensive. Yes. In terms of time and in terms of money, we, of course, we have friends, I think, uh, mutual and then just friends outside of the show who have followed in Frederick's footsteps. They went and got their own pilot licenses. Uh, you can get one to just be a private pilot or you don't have to own a plane. Like you said, Matt, you know, I mean, that might sound weird for some of us, but the Perhaps the most readily available comparison is the driver's license. You don't have to own a car to have a driver's license. But if you are ever driving a car and someone asks whether you can drive that car legally, you got to have your little card. You know what I mean? I, I think personally, just for me, it was such an unattainable thing. Like a pilot's license is something that a pilot is or a future pilot is going to do somebody who's going to fly for an airline or uh, like Frederick is going to be a pilot for the military in some regard. You don't just get a pilot's license. <laughs> I think we, I think we should seriously consider at least one of us having one just to be I'm prepared. Down. You're down? down. Okay. Let's yeah. do it. Cause we've got a local, um, we've got a local airfield here a little bit closer to your side of town that will rent out planes and will oh, yeah. provide instruction. Oh, dude, they're peppered all around this place. They're uh, just going to tax us so hard, man. Hey, let's start a crowdfunding stuff they don't want you to know Cessna <laughs> fund. <laughs> all right. I will personally put the money that we were going to spend on Dave and Buster's into this. <laughs> oh, heck yeah, dude. We got like 50 bucks. I know, I know. Our, what's that? Our twelve minutes of fun at David Buster's. We'll put it in the sky. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, this this kid, and I think it is right to call him a kid at this time. He is putting his efforts into creating reality from his dream. By the time he is twenty years old in the late seventies, he's racked up about a hundred and fifty hours of total flying time. It sounds like a lot, and this is something that surprised me as well when I was first looking into getting a pilot license. 
150 hours is not actually as much as we non-pilots might assume. I mean, if you've listened to this show long enough, then you have spent the hours you could have spent (laughs) acquiring a pilot license. I mean, look, again, not all licenses are created equally in the world of aviation, just like in the world of driving craft on the ground or craft on the ground. What a weird way to refer to cars. Uh, You know, they're grades, right? You got to get a commercial uh, driver's license, a CDL, if you want to drive a tractor trailer kind of truck. You need a different license for motorcycles, so on and so forth. It absolutely makes sense that there would be similar hierarchies in the world of aviation. Yeah, just what type of vehicle are you are you I, I do like saying piloting. I'm going to think about <laughs> me piloting my Camry now. Woo. <laughs> there you <All> go. Right. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the requirements. I'm just going to read this verbatim, Ben. This is from the FAA. They require, quote, a minimum of 40 hours flight time in the U.S. And uh, again, that's a minimum. Right. And this is to obtain a license. Correct, Ben? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And let's just continue here. The average number of hours for persons without a hearing impairment completing the private pilot certification requirements is approximately 75 hours. So, hey, at least in the FAA standards, Frederick doubled their uh, their private certification requirements. Right. Yeah. And this in the U.S., it breaks down to uh, at least 20 hours of that time has to be flight training from an authorized instructor and then 10 hours of solo flight training in a, a, a couple of different ways and then three hours across country. Like they break it down. And in Australia, they've got something similar. You have to successfully, and we're, we're reading verbatim from uh, the Australian authorities here, you have to successfully complete an integrated or non-integrated training course. Integrated training requires 10 hours solo flight, 25 hours with a co-pilot, and then a non-integrated course requires five extra hours of flight time. Integrated, non-integrated, for our purposes today, it just means going to a one-stop shop versus getting it piecemeal. And obviously, in both countries, a commercial pilot license has more stringent requirements because you are getting potentially more than a hundred people to just hang out with you in the back and, and hope you know what you're doing. Well, let's talk about the importance of integrated type of training where you're at one facility, you're basically on a course to get your pilot's license with that facility and those trainers because of the uh, really the barriers to entry for a pilot's license that you already mentioned, Ben time and money often what people do. And I have a couple of friends who did this. They will piecemeal out that pilot's license over a course of years just to be able to save up the money to take certain, you know, lessons and then save up some more, take some more lessons and just do that over and over. And often even that will be at different locations, even across states sometimes. So you just, again, it makes sense that they're going to separate that out in Australia between integrated and non-integrated. Yeah. And this is a practical skill, uh, not an academic skill, by which we mean if you want to practice law in the US or Australia, you will need to attend a university some sort of accredited institution. You're usually going to attend that one for the majority of your training. But in this situation, you can piecemeal things out. And Matt, I just looked at it uh, here in Atlanta. One of the first places we find talks about not the bare minimum of FAA requirement. They talk about the typical number of flight hours it takes for a student to receive their certificate. And that would clock in at 55 to 65 hours. So yeah, any way you slice it, what we're noting here is that Valentich is a pilot, but our buddy Frederick is a relatively inexperienced pilot. 
the and he's year also before, a young man. He's a young guy. The year before our story takes place, he had already acquired his private license, uh, and he had an instrument rating that was uh, considered class four. It meant that he could fly at night when our story occurs or on the way to our story, but only if the weather was nice, what is referred to as visual meteorological conditions. So this is not your guy for the typhoon. This is not your guy for incre- like dangerous weather. Yeah, or really even flying through just heavily clouded weather, right? Right, right. Flying through a cloud could actually get him in trouble. It's visual meteor- meteorological. So like I can see <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. at night, um, mm, which really does play into our story here. This is very, very important. Or keep that in mind. Yeah, let's talk about the the night. Let's let's just get right to it. So it's a, it's a Saturday night. The guy's not out at a, a honky tonk. He's he's not out uh, hobnobbing with the bogans uh, or whatever. Uh, he is. What is that hobnobbing with hobnobbing with the bogans? Uh, bogan would be. Oh, and shout out to our friend uh, Patrice, uh, listener of the show. Uh, a bogan uh, would be. Kind of the equivalent of a chav in the UK or a redneck. Oh, okay, got it. Okay, got it. So, uh, so he's not out partying. Uh, it's October twenty first, nineteen seventy eight. It's very late afternoon, early evening. He takes what appears to be his last flight. And to get information about this, we went to the official report. Um, you can find it in a couple of different places. But we found it on one of our favorite sites for quite some time, theblackvault.com. Oh, man, the Black Vault shout out. So let's begin here. On the afternoon of the 21st of October, 1978, Frederick attended to the Moribin briefing office, obtained a meteorological briefing, and at 1723 hours, that's 523 local time, submitted a flight plan for a night VMC flight from Morbin to King Island and to return. And we're, we're reading this report uh, verbatim. So there's, there's a little bit of shorthand. There's a little bit of terminology and nomenclature, but, but worry not. You'll get the gist, folks. Uh, the, the, of Report continues, the cruising altitude nominated in the flight plan was below 5,000 feet with estimated time intervals of 41 minutes to Cape Otway and 28 minutes from Cape Otway to King Island. The total fuel endurance was shown as 300 minutes. The pilot made no arrangements for aerodome lighting to be illuminated for his arrival at King Island. He advised the briefing officer and the operator's representative that he was uplifting friends at King Island and took four life jackets in the aircraft with him, which would be a typical safety precaution. So essentially, he's he's saying, hey, I want to go here and I'm going to pick up my crew. Right. Uh, So this is all above board. This all makes sense. We can dive into the report further in a moment. But let's quickly break just to say that was 60 minutes of flight time to get to King Island. He had 300 minutes of fuel in, in, you know, in tow. Theoretically, that that's all sounds fine to me. I'm just thinking of getting back from King Island to if they were if he was making a return flight, which he was right. That's what he stated to return. That's another 70 minutes. Right. Which is. Theoretically, he's only going to use half his fuel, although if he is bringing four people on or potentially four other people, on, or I guess it would be three friends on the weight could affect that. Just something to think about while we're talking about the story. Yeah, very important point. Uh, During the flight he is in contact with the Melbourne Flight Service Unit or FSU. And shout out again to all our Australian conspiracy realists who have taught us the correct way to say Melbourne. (laughs) Yes, and to all folks working in flight service units or air traffic controller positions. Oh my gosh, the most, one of the most stressful jobs. Have you ever met people in that profession? Oh, I have very close friends 
who'd have done Ooh. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and they're they're awesome people. Um, very punctual people. <laughs> <laughs> Time is important. Their brain is never off work. Yeah. So so our guy, Fred, he takes off around 619 local time. His final communication begins at about 7.06 p.m. And the end of that occurs at 7.11 p.m. So a very small span of just about five minutes. And in that roughly five-minute conversation, his last with the known world, he says some unusual disturbing stuff. You can read the full transcript. We might put it in a future episode. It's something that haunts researchers in the modern day. And maybe, Matt, maybe we can give people just a, a taste of it. Oh, sure. I would say read the whole thing if you get a chance and or wait until we put it out because we're going to, we'll do something with this. I, I promise we'll do something interesting with this. Um, but here's what Valentich says. Quote, my intentions are... Uh, to go to King Island, uh, Melbourne, that strange aircraft is hovering on top of me again. Then there's two seconds of an open microphone, which just means it's as if um, you push the button to talk, right? But And you haven't let go of the button yet, but you're not saying anything. It's just aircraft sound that the FSU's hearing. Then Valentich says, it is hovering and it's not an aircraft. And so... Frederick Valentich, in the middle of clear weather with light wind, disappeared. To this day, his body has never been found. What happened? We'll pause for a word from our sponsors, and we'll return. Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Here's where it gets crazy. So this story always held the interest of sleuths and ufologists, especially because of some of the other stuff he says in that final conversation. And most particularly because he says, whatever I'm seeing is not an aircraft, but it gained brand new mainstream prominence a couple of years ago, pretty recently, via TikTok. A TikTok channel named At Theory Area posted a video about this incident on December 3rd, 2021. Yeah. And it's a TikTok video that generally I would criticize, like that kind of thing where it's just bite-sized content, doesn't give you the context. It's not enough for you to really understand what's going on. It's just enough for you to watch the thing and maybe like it or share it. Right. Uh, 
and you, you know, I, w- I would feel critical about it. But if you do go and watch this video, you're actually getting quite a bit of the known information. Uh, it does actually contain quite a bit of stuff that you that you should know to understand the story. Yeah, agreed. I mean, we always have to be careful when we're looking at that sort of the the micro fiction or micro faction of of social media platforms, right? Of the dopamine casino, but the facts here are by and large correct as presented in that video. Valentich did make the flight. Frederick did have an increasingly strange conversation with Melbourne, and yes, he did disappear. The report stated that he said he was going to fly over Cape Otway and then head to his final destination, King Island. It specifically mentions that he departs, uh, as we said, 619 local time. He does arrive in the Cape Otway area 41 minutes later, so our train is running on time. At 7.06, he gets on the radio. He begins that infamous final conversation. We have both read the transcript, uh, and we will do something with it. Uh, You'll see in that transcript, there's a reason he's calling them. He's not just like checking in. He just he's not catching up on top of the pops or whatever. Uh, he he wants them to know that he is seeing what he believes to be an unidentified aircraft following him at an altitude of four thousand five hundred feet. And they check every log they have and they say, well, my guy, there's no known traffic at that altitude. And he says, well, OK. I get it, but I have a visual on this. It's something. It's a craft. It's big. I don't know what it is. It looks like it has four bright lights illuminating it. It is passing a thousand feet above me right now, and it's moving at a high speed. It's coming at me from the east. I think whomever is piloting this vessel, this craft, is hazing me, is messing with me for fun. Yeah. Yeah, it gets weird. And just to clarify there, Frederick is flying at 4,500 feet. At least that's what he describes as his altitude in the transcript. Right. So this thing is like 5,500 or or more above him. Uh, And, you know, he's talking about hazing potentially, but he describes it very strangely. And this is another key point here in the story. Frederick describes the aircraft as, quote, orbiting above him. And he also at one point says he's orbiting, which is interesting. We can get into that later. But this thing, he describes it as orbiting above him, and it had some kind of shiny metal surface. It had a green light on it. And he reported that his plane was having engine problems, and at least you can infer that in his mind it was because of whatever this aircraft was doing. And if that, if those things aren't strange enough, we go back to that quote that we read right before the break. It's not an aircraft. That is, that is very strange because when he is describing it as not an aircraft, at least according to, uh, some later reporting and some discussion by folks who were actually those FSU folks who were listening to the radio transmission. Uh, there was some kind of metallic scraping sounds that were going on. They're emanating from Frederick's radio microphone. Okay. So that's occurring within his plane or near his plane or outside of his plane. It's audible on the microphone, uh, which is pretty strange, right? Yeah. Yeah, and also it's it's strange that it's strange that this is reported so quickly after after the events, after the incident. There's a Melbourne-based paper called The Age that talks about a metallic scraping sound, the last audio that is heard from the FSU over there in Melbourne, and so they launch a search. And they they don't wait, you know what I mean? It's not like uh, this guy just missed some text or missed some calls. The conversation cuts abruptly. 
Uh, it sounds like he encountered something anomalous, so the law is on the case. They search land and sea in the area. There's an RAF Lockheed that joins along some boats and eight civilian aircraft. They they search pretty thoroughly. Eventually, they cover over a thousand square miles, and Frederick and the Cessna are ghosts. There's no sign of it, and they they continue searching. On October 25th, they call off the investigation, and to this day, in 2023, as we record this, the official conclusion of the Australian DOT, Department of Transport, is the cause of the disappearance is unknown, but, quote, presumed fatal for Frederick Valentich. Mm, But that's only where this journey begins for us, everybody. We're just getting started here. So, Ben, before we jump into some of the theories behind maybe what happened, I just want to describe something that I don't know. It's it's more of a feeling, I guess, <laughs> because I get a visualization of some of this from the transcript. That metallic scraping sound, an object that's hazing, because it's he says it's like coming at his plane and then leaving and then coming back and then leaves for a while completely. It's like buzzing him. Yeah, but then we'll all of a sudden be back. Um, and then that metallic scraping sound, um, in my mind, it's some kind of, and this is just my uh, Hollywood version, right? Some kind of large ship that could, in a way, ingest a smaller craft, right? Like take it in to its body in some way, into its hull where the metal scraping sound is actually grasping some kind of mechanism, grasping onto his plane mm. and pulling it up into mm-hmm. a cargo hold or something, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's at least the visual that I get. I'm so in, I'm okay. Never mind. No, we're not doing the rest of it. That's what I choose <laughs> to believe. That's too cool to not be the truth. I guess because I guess because we're already here, we can tell you the less compelling theories other, other than the, th- <laughs> the theory that well, Matt that's, that's not a theory to be too. That's a uh, fever dream that this story conjures in my mind. I guess and I, I too have a dream and it, it, is, <laughs> it is yours here. Here's one of the, um, so as soon as this happens, this is a tragic loss of human life. That's what it seems to be. No one has heard from this guy since as far as we can tell Investigators have no shortage of theories. Some are mundane, um, all are speculative, and some range more into the world of the esoteric. So one of the first common things people ask is, he's going over water, right? For part of this, what if he's disoriented? What if he's flying upside down? And he somehow mistakes the lights of his own Cessna as the lights of a separate entity. He sees them reflecting on water, on the surface of the water, and he thinks that's a totally different thing. Similar to how some animals might see themselves in a mirror and react aggressively because they think they're being confronted by a different animal. Uh, That's, okay, so that's an initial thing, but there are some problems with it, right? First, we know the type of Cessna he's flying has what's called a gravity feed fuel system, meaning that if he turned upside down and somehow he was not aware that he was upside down, which, sorry, it's all milkshake, he wouldn't have been able to fly like this for very long at all. The engine would have sputtered, it would have cut, and that that concept of the engine cutting People who believed he was flying upside down, they used the end of the transcript as evidence for that. Uh, And, you know, some people also speculated that he had attempted to take his own life. But there's so many problems. Aside from the gravity fuel line, everyone who knew him, family, friends, acquaintances, none of them believed that suicide or self-harm was on the table. And there was an interesting thing we found that again is contemporary on October 25th, uh, a paper interviews a guy named Arthur Schutt, S-C-H-U-T-T, head of a private aviation company. And he says, he says the quiet part out loud. He's very diplomatic about it and beat me here, Paul. But what he's saying 
again, very politely, is how the f*** would someone not know they're upside down? Yeah, it doesn't matter what kind of straps you got on your aircraft. If you're flying upside, upside down, you're not the only thing that's upside down. It's everything else inside the plane that's upside down. And things fall because of that old gravity thing. And you'd notice stuff around you just going. Funk. <laughs> well, also, you're you would notice the uh, change in the passage of your blood. Right. Because uh, he's at a low enough altitude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, the guy's not in outer space. He's not even he's nowhere near like the bug limit or whatever. So it's <laughs> there is a funny historical bit there. Uh, when our guy Arthur says, <laughs> he says, the carpet comes out of the floor, the butts fall out of the ashtray. And that took me a yes. second until I realized it's the 70s. And it was way more common for people to smoke on planes. And put carpet in their planes, too. <laughs> and put carpet in their planes, <laughs> too. So it, I guess it's it's possible that he ended up upside down for a very short amount of time. But it does not seem likely that he would have continued without realizing what happened, despite his relative greenness, his lack of experience. So I I think that leads us to inevitably conclude, you know, it's UFOs. (laughs) Well, let let, let me say one more thing on that, because I think even though he's inexperienced, he's young. He's flying uh, in the whatever the meteorological conditions he's supposed to be flying in. He was allowed to fly then. Uh, if he was upside down and he was seeing that green light from uh, from one of his wings, right, or his tail, whatever tail light, whatever the green light that he did report seeing. If he's upside down and he's seeing that reflected in the water, he's reporting to the FSU that it's a thousand feet away from him. He's looking at his gauges just a few moments before that saying, I'm at 4,500 feet and this light is a thousand feet away. So he would have to be so disoriented to not only be flying upside down and not know it, but he wouldn't be able to tell that the light reflecting in the water was actually, you know, 3,500 feet away or further. So I don't know. To me, it's just another, it's another thing that tells me that, probably isn't what happened yeah i know what you mean yeah and (sighs) ufologists love this story right there's no shortage of breathless claims going you know what really happened frederick was destroyed by aliens he was abducted by aliens think about it you need to think about the evidence right Um, yeah can we clip that and uh just play that at my funeral Uh, (laughs) (laughs) frederick was abducted by aliens Okay. So, <laughs> great. I will. I will make a, a yet again a wonderful impression on your family. Thanks, uh, so, man. <laughs> so, unfortunately, there's not a lot of compelling evidence for the idea here. The UFO theory. Those reports that you mentioned, Matt, of the green light that Frederick mentions the second time he describes light. Uh, you know, first he talks about these four bright lights. Then he talks about seeing this green light, this metallic sheen. Eyewitness reports, if you do a cursory check, they appear to back that up. But the green light aspect of the report comes out after the transcript of his conversation with Melvin goes public. And after that eyewitness is asked a couple years later. Again, like we see that we see so often things evolve, they change, people are sort of crowdsourcing a narrative, right? That's the reason why for a couple of decades, more and more people were in Dallas when JFK was shot, right? More and more people than the actual population of Dallas were on that street somehow, and they super duper remember it. I remember it, bro. You were there. Just, yeah, well, yeah. You were actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. you were there. Oh, yeah. Totally. Not involved. <laughs> no. You were not involved. No, I was just getting coffee with uh, George Bush Sr. It was, it was mm-hmm. no big deal. I uh, had to meet some folks on a hill. You get yeah, in yeah, situations. Yeah. But, <laughs> get situations. But, uh, but, right. So, okay. So, we know the eyewitness thing kind of changes. Um, found this excellent, excellent investigation over at Skeptical Inquirer. Uh, 
co-written by an author named Joe Nickel uh, with a pilot, a veteran, and an astronomer named James Magaha. And uh, they go hard in the paint. They trace out the timeline. A witness on the ground who described having seen a green light just above Valentich's plane had not mentioned that aspect of his story at the time. However, many years later, after the green light was made public, he did mention this detail, but he is only identified by a pseudonym. The eyewitness story, it seems, changed. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right, well, here's here's the part that makes me a, a little sad, but also excited about the UFO thing. It does both for me. And it's details coming from Frederick's father about his enthusiasm around the UFO subject. Because remember, we're talking 1970s here. He wasn't that old, born in the 50s. And Frederick was really into UFOs, reportedly. And his dad backs that up. And this is a quote from that Skeptical Inquirer article. Earlier that year, according to his father, Frederick had himself observed a UFO moving away very fast. And he had expressed to his father his worry about what could happen if such presumed extraterrestrial craft should ever attack. So when we think about it, Frederick in his mind already had this scenario, right? It existed there in his mind palace before perhaps it actually occurred or before something like it occurred. Mind palace. I like it. I wasn't expecting a mind palace today. Yeah. Uh, you're right. You're right. In a, in a real way, he had primed himself, arguably. And when you are a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know, that's the tendency. And there's an additional wrinkle here We found several claims that Frederick wasn't entirely honest about the purpose of his final flight. Earlier, we said, you know, from the official report, he's going to go pick up some friends, hence the life jackets, the life preservers. Other sources say that's not true. He was going to go pick up some crayfish. Turns out uh, he, as far as King Island is concerned, None of that's true because he didn't bother following the SOP standard operating procedure to inform King Island of his intent to land. He told Melbourne what he was doing, and I guess he was just going to, pardon the gallows humor, wing it over at King Island, you know, get by on his charm and his wit. Uh, Dude was just out there. And if this sounds mysterious, we should also note It may be the result of inexperience rather than conspiracy. Remember, he failed the Air Force exam multiple times. We alluded to this, but you should also know before this flight, he was involved in three flying mishaps that got him on the wrong side of the authorities. Once he got a warning because he unknowingly strayed into restricted airspace, which people are very sensitive about. And twice, he was cited for purposely flying blindly into a cloud. And at the time of his disappearance, this very well still could have led to legal consequences. Because flying blind into a cloud, what's in there? Another airplane? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. A flock of geese? No, probably not. But <laughs> a, flight, a flight of seagulls, 99 birds, lift balloons. Birds are dangerous. And if you're flying blindly into anything, uh, depending on how high up you are, it, it could be really bad. Really, really yeah. bad. And uh, especially in a smaller craft. Oh, 100%. And uh, the other thing I would just want to point out here, we mentioned the reason why he didn't make it into the Australian Air Force was because of educational deficiencies. That is an amorphous phrase, right? That could mean a whole bunch of different things, but it could mean lack of follow through on procedures, right? I mean, it could mean that that's speculation on my part, sure, but it, it could be a problem that he had, right? He would, he knew the steps he needed to take, but he didn't always follow all of them maybe, or he didn't remember all of the steps in any given moment, just a possibility. Yeah. Because again, it's such a vague amorphous term. Anyway, the the idea, like his less than spotless record, 
his fascination with UFOs, etc., etc., these factors lead multiple researchers to speculate he was actually flying out not to meet people, not to pick up some fresh seafood, which is a shame because that's great, uh, but expressly to look for UFOs. Whether or not that's the case, it is possible that Frederick Valentich was psychologically primed to interpret any anomalous activity, any unusual phenomenon he saw up there as a UFO sighting. And if he felt he encountered something like this, he would have likely become an inexperienced pilot distracted by what he thought was a UFO sighting. And focusing entirely on that instead of, you know, keeping the plane in the air. And that might have been the problem unless there's another wrinkle, a bit of a Shyamalan plot twist here, unless he did it all on purpose and, like some people argue, faked his death. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsors. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Before we jump into the faking your death part, Ben, just want to point out the adrenaline that would be surging through his body if he truly believed a UFO was above him, flying near him, flashing lights at him getting his attention, maybe even just hovering or orbiting above his plane. I mean, it would have, for me, if that was happening, it would have taken over everything in my mind, at least if I feel that. Absolutely. Yeah. It would naturally, uh, it would naturally dominate your bandwidth, right? Oh yeah. Oh, chemically, (laughs) visually, even here, like I can, I can imagine like, I, I wouldn't be able to focus on anything else. Um, but the concept that he possibly did this entire thing, this entire flight, every, even getting a pilot's license, I, I, I'm just really interested. What if he did the whole thing to fake his death? Do we have any evidence for this or wh- why do we think this? A lot of it is the interpretation, the preconceptions of the people positing the theory, right? The idea that this guy was on a long con to commit pseudocide and all pseudocide is a long con. And again, we're legally required to tell you it is way more difficult uh, to do than you think. Uh, A lot of people have problems with the two, the two fundamental factors in any successful pseudocide or faking of one's death. One, don't try to get money from your death 
they'll find you. And two, don't talk to anybody. The old you really needs to be dead as far as everyone you know is concerned. Uh, that's, that's how the majority of people get caught. If he decided to disappear on purpose, then he would have had to successfully follow through on those two things for decades, you know, since the late 1970s. Uh, we know that the plane could have taken him somewhere else, maybe. So this is what theorists propose. They say, despite great weather, the aircraft was never spotted on radar. So maybe it never even made it to Cape Otway. Maybe it was going somewhere else the whole time. And additionally, Melbourne police received reports of a mysterious, unidentified light aircraft landing not far from the Cape, right around the time of the guy's disappearance. Whoa. And these we these were not experts in the field, so they wouldn't be able to say this is a Cessna, this is a so-and-so. They just said, we know this is a small airplane. We don't know who is piloting it. We don't know where it's from, but we saw it land. We're calling the police. Whoa. I mean, okay. That, that seems to kind of make sense until we fast forward five years after the disappearance in 1978. And we see that in 1983, parts of an aircraft wreckage with serial numbers, with par partially matching serial numbers, were found in a nearby strait, specifically a component of a plane called an engine cowl flap. It washed ashore in a place called Finders Island. And in July of 1983, the Bureau of Air Safety Investigation asked an outfit called the Royal Australian Navy Research Laboratory, or RANL, RANROL, RANROL, Okay, they asked Ranroll about the likelihood that this cowl flap, this component, may have traveled to this ultimate position where it washed ashore from the area where Frederick's aircraft disappeared. And those serial numbers do partially match up. It's not absolutely conclusive, but it's pretty convincing circumstantial evidence for a crash because no other missing aircraft fit the bill in just this way. This is easy to explain away, and this is something Ale Peterson would advise uh, you to do. That's a comedy bang bang character played by Paul mm -hmm, F. Tompkins. Mm -hmm. uh, you should listen to Ale Peterson's stories. Uh, what if you did successfully land that Cessna, but it's not your Cessna, you've just rented it. So you need to land the plane to get yourself to safety, to wherever it is you're going to escape to, but that plane is evidence. What are you going to do with that plane? I know. We're going to destroy it. We're going to blow the sucker up and we're going to make sure we do it. We put parts of it into the ocean that would plausibly be where the airplane crashed. My dogs are real excited about this idea. So you're, you're raising a great point. You know, if someone really did want to disappear, maybe they could destroy the plane. Yeah, but I'm joking, though. I mean, it's possible, part, though. That's the thing. All, all of these are possible. Some are more probable than others, but all of these are possible. Let's end tonight with the most plausible current conclusion. Let's let us practice cinema of the mind and picture our pal Frederick distracted by a craft or a phenomenon that he cannot identify. For experienced pilots like our guys from Skeptical Inquirer, this means that Frederick may have been deceived by what's called the, quote, illusion of a tilted horizon. Matt, you, Paul, and I were talking about this a little bit off air. Um, what, for, for us non-pilots, how can we understand this thing? Uh, well, the way Paul and I were talking about it was with Microsoft Flight Simulator when we were kids. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember. I and we were just thinking about the heads-up display you get in that game of the horizon line, right? And it just lets you know your, what is it, your angle? I was going to say angle of attack, but that's not what it is. It's the angle that your plane is oriented to the horizon line. So are you going straight, right, on that? Or are you tilted downwards toward the earth or upwards away from the earth? And if you imagine on that Cessna, he doesn't have a heads-up display. He's got a, a window that he can see out of, and then he's got his in instrumentation down below him or around him. And it's 
if you just imagine that he's distracted visually by stuff that's going on around him that he can see out of his windows, maybe he's not looking at that instrumentation that's letting him know how his plane is oriented. And there's a weird thing that happens that we didn't know about when Paul and I were discussing it earlier. We didn't know this could even happen, Ben, that visually you could think that you are flying with the horizon, like perfectly level, but you are not. And then from that, from that misconception, that misperception, um, you may attempt to adjust your flight, right? Uh, you may think you're flying level. You may be flying level and think you're not flying level, right? And so you attempt to adjust to level your wings back to where they need to be, but you start to spiral, to circle downward slowly at first, and then with it escalates, increasing speed, increasing acceleration, you become increasingly disoriented in space. And so to Nickel and Magaha, this means that Frederick Valentich enters what's called a graveyard spiral, a situation not to be envied. So he is focused on what he thinks is a UFO. He's talking to Melbourne FSU, and he starts spiraling the entirety of the way down. This is too much stress on the plane. He realizes things are foobar. We at FSU hear that screeching metallic noise, and then we hear no more. This could explain the eyewitness accounts, too. I mean, the Cessna is close enough to the land at a low enough altitude for that eyewitness to see it. And it's really three eyewitnesses because two of his nieces were there. Uh, there's an ex a possible explanation for the light. So I can't believe I'm using so many hand gestures in an audio show. But OK, so the um, I was trying to do it. You, yeah, I think right? it helps your brain. I think you're happen. right. I think you're right. Yeah. So. Uh, if you're the guy on the ground, you're looking at this, the uh, aircraft is trying to correct what the pilot sees as its orientation in space, and they start banking. They can bank such that they're leaning over sideways, kind of, and the right wingtip is up. It looks like it's above the plane for a perceiver from the ground, and that right wingtip has a navigation light on it, and that navigation light is green in color. So if you're looking at this happen, evening is drawing on, you could mistake it for a second separate craft with a green light flying above. But that still doesn't explain the first four lights Frederick reports. Oh, no, it does not. Uh, and there's an explanation for it. But I don't know, you guys. You don't love it? I don't know. I, when I think about reporting about lights that I feel are a thousand feet above me in a plane, I don't think about this. Venus, Mars, Mercury, and Antares, uh, a star. <laughs> a very bright star. Very bright. Super bright. But also stars, <laughs> very and far planets. away. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't you can't drive to them yet. Uh, there's the what the most plausible mundane explanation we can find proposed for those four lights is based on computer searches of the sky for the day, time, and place of at least part of Frederick's flight, and it's highly possible that the things he saw were those four planetary heavenly celestial bodies that Matt just named. And if you are a human who's already primed to look for an entity, a singular entity or UFO, then it's possible that you would have seen those and assumed they were a shape, that they were forming the points of a diamond, especially if you're already kind of hoping to see a UFO. I hear that, like, edges of a shape, and then inside that shape, it might appear, it might, I'm saying might, appear as a metallic object, like a dark black metallic object that you can't perceive, 
because there's no light underneath it. But wouldn't there aren't there other stars in between those that you ah? And you, if you're in a Cessna, you're looking out the side, I guess, of a window to look up and see it. So then maybe you look out the other side. But you're strapped. Mm, ah, it's just hard for me to physically understand him in that pilot seat observing all that stuff. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if it. It proposes a solution to the investigation, but it doesn't get us across the finish line. Yeah. It's it's not 100%. And I, I wish we could say it was. Uh, but it seems that with all this in mind, what we can say is Frederick Valentich did definitely see some things that he himself could not identify. And they probably weren't aliens. But a little twist, as is our want at the end of stuff they don't want you to know. If he was distracted by Venus, Mars, Mercury, and that very bright star, and if there was life on any of those, then I think it's fair to say he was distracted by aliens. They were just further oh, away than he thought. They were just the, way <laughs> further away than he thought. The Antares. Oh, man. There are a lot of construction sounds happening in my house right now. I apologize. Paul, that's more work for you. But uh, And you're going to hear them in the episode, too. I apologize for that. And dogs. It's just a noisy day over here. I'm distracted. Maybe it's a UFO. Uh, I am holding out, guys. I'm holding out that something nuts happened to Frederick. And even if his plane did crash, I don't think he did. I think he went with somebody, and that's why the plane crashed. I like that. I like that. Uh, let's do just a quick bit of cocktail math. If he were alive today, he would be 65 years old, so well within the realm of possibility, if he still remains on Earth. Yeah, I don't think, I think he's going to live to 4,050, because he's got... He's got all the tech now. He's got time the, dilation. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's good to go forever. Probably. And you know what? While we're doing this, while we're playing these reindeer games, isn't everyone just an object in space? Right. Yeah. We're just, you know, strapped to this planet, like some kind of moss that can talk. And can we really even identify ourselves? How well do we know ourselves? You know, I, I, <laughs> I wish everyone could see this shrug. At this point, I think we call it, we would love to hear your takes on this mysterious case. And even more importantly, folks, we would love to hear some of your favorite strange and or obscure tales of alleged UFO or paranormal count encounters in your neck of the global woods. Take us to the edge of the rabbit hole. Uh, we'll do the rest. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Farmers Only, MySpace, Pinterest, TikTok. Raya? Is that a, wait, is that a dating thing? I don't know. Sure. We're not there. At that, at that We're too. not there. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, find, find our Tinder. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. um, if you don't, uh, conspiracy stuff, um, conspiracy stuff show some derivation thereof. If you don't sip the social meads, have no fear. You can contact us directly via a handy telephonic device. That's right. Our number is, say it with us, 1 833 STDWYTK. It's a voicemail system. Ooh, ooh. It's a voicemail system. You got three minutes. Give us a cool nickname, not your government name. Uh, say whatever you'd like, as long as at some point in that message, say whether or not we can use your message and voice on the air, or if you don't want us to. It's that easy. Do you think we could put like the whole show on a dating site? Like the three, the three or four or five of us, let's say everybody, we're all on a dating site as a show and you can take the show out on a date. Has anybody Why ever done not? that? It's 2023, man. <laughs> I think that would be fun. Uh, call us with your ideas. If you don't want to use your phone, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com.
Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. 